All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Depending on when you are listening in, you are here with the New Beginnings Podcast with Jay Jackson. I would like to thank you all for taking the time to listen in on the podcast. We got a great show for you today. Um, my guest on this uh, episode of the Celebration of Excellence is a good friend of mine, a, a guy I've known, I, I want to say, going on close to now, man, over 30 years. Uh, we, we've been boys, been rocking since back of our days at, uh, you know, Blackhawk, Mohawk. You know, we might hit that history a little bit, but I want to introduce to some and present to others uh, my good friend, Dr. Rasul Dickey. What's going on, bro? Man, I'm good. I'm good, man. I appreciate you asking me to be on the show. Yes, sir, man. So as you always know here at the New Beginnings Podcast, we want to interview people and bring on people that are doing something positive in our communities, that are helping others. We want to see what other people got going on, and we just want to spread the word, get them known, get them followed, things like that. Don't forget you can follow the New Beginnings Podcast with Jay Jackson on my YouTube page at the New Beginnings Podcast. Go to my Facebook, Jermaine Jackson, episodes I posted there. Then I definitely want y'all to go to Spotify, go to Apple Pod, Apple Podcast. Look for that New Beginnings Podcast. You see the emblem, uh, you know, up there in the corner. Look for that. Listen in on the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, like, follow, share, give it to your friends. Uh, if you know somebody that I may need to interview, that I need to bring on the show, need to tell their story, what they've overcame, uh, what they're going through, challenges they've overdone. Yo, hit me up. Let me know. And uh, I'll see about bringing them on. But definitely want to always bring on people that's going to bring some positivity, not only to my life, but to your life, too. So let's get into this interview, sir. Uh, many hey. of you may know uh, Dr. Rasul Dick. You may know him. We're going to get into that doctor part. Many people might have grown up knowing him as Rasul Dickey. But we want to try to get some things about you that people may not know, things you've gone through cool, in your cool. life. So we've got some great questions going to line up. So first of all, as we as we get into your story, you are from the South Suburbs. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. South Suburbs, uh, a graduate of Richie's High School. Yes, what sir. was it like for you, sir, just growing up? I believe you grew up in the Ash Co-ops. If sure anybody did. know about hey. those Ash Street Co-ops. Hey. Ash Street so, Co-ops, Court 12. Yes, sir. So just, just take us back. Just give us a little brief history into you growing up in the area and your life and okay. everything like that. Yeah, so... Originally, I was born like a lot of people from the you know south suburbs in the city. Um, we moved from the wild hundreds when I was probably like mm, I'd say probably like six or seven. So uh, moved to Park Forest, which uh, like you said, south suburbs. Um, when when I first got there, I wasn't in school yet. I was still mostly in daycare. So actually, I probably was a little bit younger. I was probably like five when we moved. So you know, uh, moving from the city to the suburbs. You know, it's a totally different look. You know, you used to all these buildings, concrete mm -hmm. apartments, you know, but, you know, when you move to Park Forest, it's a lot of forest land, um, a lot of trees, a lot of uh, good forest preserves, things you don't really see in the city. So, you know, moving from the city to Park Forest, I remember the first day we rolled up, you know, I'm like, yo, it's nice out here. Like, is this where we <laughs> stay at? You know, so. But then, you know, growing up, you get to know more of the area uh, and you, you get to be more aware of things. So the thing is, Park Forest was a good area to grow up. It, as you know, when we were kids, we had a lot more like restaurants. Mm -hmm. They had the center. The center was an outdoor mall that they had that was open. They had a bunch of stores, had a bunch of restaurants. We had a movie theater. Um, so when we, was coming, when we were coming up, we had things to do. You know, like we had, we had a lot, but... 
I would say probably starting towards when we got to high school is when you saw like the financial decline when a lot of stores started kind of closing down Mm -hmm. uh, and we didn't have much. So then you started to see like a little bit more crime. Um, I say where we grew up, I I wouldn't consider it a a violent place. However, it's not a place where you consider a typical suburb. Right. Um, Because... Yeah, it's not as bad as the city, but most of the people they are from the city, you still got the same city element. You got drugs, you got gangs. Um, a lot of people where we grew up, Eastgate, Beacon Hill, um, we were, you know, a lot of them were Section 8. So it wasn't like a lot of money from that side. But what was crazy is you also had another side of Park Forest where people actually did have like a little bit of money. Yes, they did. So, yeah, so our high school and junior high and stuff was real diverse, even though I feel like Still majority made probably black, but, you know, we had a good little mix. But I feel like the dynamic in our town from going from people who had a little bit of money to people who didn't, it gave us a good upbringing. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like we understood uh, a lot more things. You know, if we we only saw people who didn't have money, you know, we would have a, a, a different mentality. But I feel like it was an area where a lot of people weren't rich, but going to school, you could see things that maybe that you want to attain. You had a reason for going to school. You had a reason for wanting to study. For instance, we lived in Park Forest. R. Kelly, you know, sorry about what's going on with him right now, but (laughs) (laughs) just for the sake of the story, you know, like I'm paying, you know, my mom paid $400 rent. R. Kelly's mansion was, what, like 10, 15 minutes down the street? Mm -hmm. You know, so like the area was real mixed. So for me, I feel like my big push, though, was being able to see a lot of those bigger houses in Olympia Fields and Madison, all of that type of stuff. So I think a big push in school and just for me to to do better was just knowing that there was better out there. So, yeah, yeah. I appreciate you for sharing that, because as you were talking, just like you said, growing up in that area, I, I remember when we did uh, we're going to gonna kind of jump into school in a minute when <clears throat> we did snowball and we uh staffed it together some of you from yeah. this area we've listened to the podcast you may know about snowball a lot of other schools have this mm-hmm. program um i staffed them we would have these meetings with the staff you know we was with kids from central and south so growing up in park forest and the heights and you mm-hmm. know when you went over to the olympia fields massive side you like <laughs> what is this <laughs> well back when i came up <laughs> we ain't living like this at all. You know, it, all. It, I mean, my my mom's. I, I thank God, God rest her soul. You know, when she got us out of Beacon Hill, I lived in Eastgate for three years, had a nice little house. Then she put us in Park Forest my senior year, right behind Richie's. I, I got to walk to school in that mm-hmm. house. And I'm thinking, like, man, we came up. Right. I went to the mother kids' houses in Olympia <laughs> Fields, Mass. I was like, nah, like, man, nah. we gotta do better. <laughs> We doing high, like, yeah, we, 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 we ain't got that. We ain't got that. Yeah, right. It was right. a whole different. So it, it was just crazy. Like you say, t- you can go 10, 15 minutes down the road and be like, mm-hmm. "Wow, right. <laughs> we ain't right. quite there yet." But like you right. said, it it motivates you to do better in your life, achieve some things. You know, you look at that, you be like, "Wow, that's why I want to raise my family, put my family at someday." So definitely. Um, you just talking about that, you know, had my mind think like he right. So I just remember mm-hmm. seeing that, like, man, I, I ain't know these yeah. type of house was out here. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I've been right. on the other side of town too long. Exactly. So yeah, that that's definitely important. And as we talk about school, 
one of the first places me and Rasul met was when we was going in for band. Uh, I think about fourth, fifth grade, they started mm-hmm. trying to get kids trial for band. Uh, he tried out to be a percussionist, so did I, because I grew up playing drums in the church. I didn't score high enough to be a percussionist. Really? I ended up playing the trumpet. That's wow. why I did not become a percussionist. I mm. did not test high enough on that little test they gave yeah, us. Yeah, I remember but, that uh, test. He did very well. So all from like ninth grade to basically, not ninth grade, from like fourth grade to our junior year, because after our junior year, I left band alone. We were in band together. And just, and if, if anybody knows, uh, my, my friend here, my brother, was very talented as a drummer. Um, many awards, many accolades. Um, even when the band, uh, he was very known for his skills as a drummer in jazz band. Even sometimes the jazz band do, didn't do well at competitions. He did. He got awards, even if the whole <laughs> band didn't. So really through high school with a junior high, uh, he was known for other things, but everybody knew Rasul Dickey could play drums. So yeah. that love and that talent for <clears throat> music, and even um, in his adult year, he's done some DJing. And mm-hmm. I don't want to tell too much of a story, but where did that right. love and that influence come from for music? Um, so I got to say, first off, from my dad. So my dad was a jazz musician uh, who played trumpet. Um, he played on a professional level, but uh, after time, it wasn't his main thing he did. But for him, we were, since little kids, he played his trumpet around us every day. Um, we used to go to concerts with him. He dragged us to concerts because, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, I don't care about jazz and all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, just the drum set always stuck with me, like even seeing it in church. You know, I think that's probably the first time I really was exposed to like, ooh, I want to be a drummer was in church. Because, you know, I feel like in gospel music, I feel like jazz and gospel are probably the epitome of what a drummer wants to play on a drum set. Because you can get loose, you can be creative. Uh, so that's what drew me in. And then I feel like once I got the opportunity, like you said, when we took the, the test in band and I was a percussionist, I took full advantage because it was something as a kid. I was like, all I want to do is play drums. Mm-hmm. So when I got in there, as you know, because you were in there with me, we practice all the time, mm-hmm. played all the time competed all the time uh made sure that we was tight like that was our thing so from doing that in school and then i don't know if you remember um i auditioned for the protege philharmonic here in chicago Mm -hmm. um and made that orchestra and that was probably the top orchestra that you could be in in the state so you know we played at uh at the time it wasn't symphony center it was orchestra hall uh we played at navy pier um played for the Bears one time. So it was a good opportunity, you know, and it exposed me to another side of music because in school we did like symphonic music and jazz band. So that was my first time being a part of an orchestra, even Mm -hmm. though most of those kids in that orchestra were well seasoned. Um, But for me, it also showed like the lifestyle that they were living too. Cause you know, we would rehearse downtown at Roosevelt. Uh, We would have, cocktail dinners, soirees, all that type of stuff. So, you know, as a kid from the city, I'm like, eh, I don't want to go to all that type of stuff. You know, <laughs> I'm not cool with that. Like, I'll go play the stuff, but when I'm done, I'm going home. Um, because even one time we we debuted a composer's piece in this orchestra. And we got we actually got invited to Japan that summer to perform. Me being the kid from Park Forest, 
<laughs> you know, that I am. I just didn't want to hang with the kids there. So I was like, you know what? Ma, <laughs> I'm not going. You know, now looking back, I'm like, eh, that was a dumb decision. You should have went. Right, yeah. But at the time, it just shows cultural, no matter if you got the talent or you don't, cultural differences can set you apart. It can set you back a little bit. You know, in a sense, there's a little bit of ignorance on my part, but I was a young man. Um, my mom wasn't going to force me to do it, and I appreciate her for not doing that. But um, music is great, man. When you play music, it just gives you a feeling of being kind of like on cloud nine to be able to create something out of nothing or be in sync with other people when you play um, is amazing. It's an mm -hmm. amazing feeling. It's almost a spiritual feeling, you know? So music has always just been a, a, a good feeling activity creative that I can let go and uh, be my outlet. Appreciate that. Thank you for telling us about your love for music. I definitely, uh, want to give a shout out, may his soul rest in peace to your dad. Um, you know, we lost him a few years back. Uh, one of yeah. the coolest guys I ever known and met. Um, dad was always smiling, always making yeah, you laugh. So, definitely. dad was one of the most chillest, laid back dudes mm -hmm. that I had ever met. So, man, yeah, his you know, because me growing up young, I lost my dad at seven and um, didn't right. really have father figures. So, when I met his father, man, his dad was just always he seemed like a great person to have as a father so every time i met him man he just i never seen a dude mad he's always in a good mood always right, smiling right, just right just exactly. real chill man it's almost mm -hmm. like you my dad but you my friend too oh, so so absolutely. definitely just want to show acknowledgement and love to his father man appreciate him for yeah, influencing you for that music and that background man so you know big ups to him yeah and definitely. so <clears throat> when we look at the, the music now we went to richie's high school shout out mm -hmm. to the rockets you know what I'm shout saying? out to the rockets um but when we got ready to go to college, one of the biggest things, looking at your life, people would have thought that maybe he's going to be a musician, mm -hmm. go, you know, study music, maybe be a professional drama, do whatever music. Right. But you went to school for pharmacy, which mm -hmm. was, I know for me, being one of your best friends, that was shocking to me when I found out in school for pharmacy. Right. As I said, but I started to show this is Dr. Rasul Dickey. But looking at your life and just how much music impacted your life, you took a switch and a turn when it came to college. What mm -hmm. caused that change that, not saying you lost your love and desire for me, but what made you go into a whole other field when you was getting mm -hmm. ready to go to college? Um, So I would say the main reason why I didn't go strictly for music is because my dad had that background of being a musician and knowing that hustle and pretty much he always wanted me to play and be a musician but him and my mother were like you know what we know a lot of musicians you probably should major in something that you can at least know you'll get a job in mm. and then keep music as something that you do second or minor in music so um what i ended up doing was pretty much and we'll talk about this. I went to school in New Orleans. I went to Xavier in New Orleans, which is a jazz music town. <clears throat> so I was involved in like jazz band there, but I didn't uh, minor in music. But I ended up joining a group called Vivid at the time. I was a in a band called Vivid. Um, and while I was in Vivid, I mean, I was pretty much living my dream of being a local musician in New Orleans. You know, like I'm 18 years old getting into places where you're supposed to be 21 years old. <clears throat> you know, like making money, 
uh, quick money, but little bits of amounts that add up for somebody who's only 18, 19 years mm-hmm. old. Um, but I made that my focus when I was trying to study pharmacy. So when I was pre-pharmacy trying to do my prereqs, I was busy trying to play all around New Orleans too. So at one point my grades took a hit and I told myself, you know what? Like I'm gonna have to put this music down if I wanna succeed in these books for a second. Mm-hmm. Did I? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. So what ended up happening is shortly after this time where I basically was like, you know what, now nah, I'm gonna keep playing. Even thought about dropping out of school just to do it full time, to be honest. Um, but as you know, I had a ruptured appendix mm-hmm. in college. So around this time, what's crazy is I ru- my appendix ruptured while I was playing drums at a club in New Orleans called Tipitinas. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know what it was. I just, you know, knew something wasn't right. I was sweating a lot. And I was like, dang, I'm not playing that hard to be like sweating as much. But um, got back to the dorm. And then the next day, it was nothing but pain, nothing but pain in my stomach area. So um, I tried to go to class, didn't end up making it to class. Well, I made it to class, but I came immediately back because it literally felt like I had rocks in my stomach. At this time, it wasn't probably ruptured. It probably was just appendicitis. But long story short, your boy was hard headed. Um, I didn't go to the hospital or doctor for like five, six days. Mm. By the time I got to the hospital, uh, my appendix had ruptured. And um, at that point, I had all sorts of uh, infections and stuff going on. So they had to do emergency surgery. But even after emergency surgery during this time, it wasn't that wasn't successful either. So my blood counts were still high. Um, They fixed they pretty much removed your appendix, the rupture part. But I still had like a lot of infection going on. So I was in the hospital at this time uh, for about three and a half to four weeks. Um, and also during this time, it was a period where they didn't know if I was going to make it or not. Come on. So that was an experience for me to where even to this day, I I appreciate every day. I know how fragile life is. Um, and even during this time, and this is great for your show. This is just a a testimony of mine. Um, so while I was in the hospital, um, my doctor at the time, Dr. Labat, who's at Xavier, I think he's still still there teaching and, and practicing medicine. He was doing everything he could, but for some reason, like the numbers, my blood count still wasn't coming mm-hmm. down. One lady, one night, like, no, it was like an afternoon, a lady came in, a random lady. She told me she was a doctor. And she said, next time your doctor comes in, I want you to tell him that you want him to just cut your whole stomach open and just see what he finds. Random lady. She wasn't with anybody. She just told me she was a doctor. So my doctor comes in, Dr. Labot comes in, and I'm like, hey, Dr. Labot, like a lady came in earlier who said she was a doctor. She said, just cut my stomach open from here to here so that you can just take a look. So he looked at me crazy. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, she just said like, why not? Like, why don't you just open me up, see if there's something else you can find? And he, like, kind of looked at me. He's like, okay, we'll do it. He scheduled a surgery that same day. Um, opened me up. They found a whole lot more that they that they thought they had cleaned up before. Wow. A whole lot more. Cleaned me up. 
stitched me up. From that day forth, numbers came up. Numbers came up. Um, and that was the point where I had I didn't have a choice to go back to music. You know, it was like I was too sick to do it at that point. Um, and also at that point, I knew that it was a turning point because if I was going to apply for pharmacy, that was my time to turn in my application. Mm-hmm. So not only did it make me stop music at that point in the hospital, I filled out my pharmacy application in the hospital and wow. turned it in in the hospital and turned it in in the hospital. And mom's helped me out and, and did all of that type of stuff. And from that point, even with my grades being not the best, I got into pharmacy school, even though I wasn't even handling my business on the education tip as much as I could. Mm -hmm. So for me, that whole time span was spiritual and showed me this is the way I need to go, despite I want to, you know, me wanting to do music. It was almost kind of like maybe that was his way of sitting me down and showing me where I needed to go, possibly. Um, a lot of people may think, did it have to be that extreme? I don't know. I'm not God, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and it worked out. Right. Because from that day forth, I put the music down and focused on the books and ended up becoming a pharmacist. Graduated in 2006, you know, and it's carried me. It's 2023 now. It's mm -hmm. carried me this so far. So do I miss music? Yes, but I am blessed and I'm grateful for the career that I was placed on for the career that God blessed me with for having the wherewithal to even do it because it wasn't me. I, me and you had the same grades, <laughs> you know, we both was, mm -hmm. was pretty smart guys, but were we geniuses? No, <laughs> no <laughs> you know, not at all. at all, but it's like just to be able to have a brain capacity to work hard to, to obtain a goal for me is a blessing in itself. Cause everybody can't do that. Right. You know, like people always talk about, oh, you know, it's just about studying. It's just about the books. And it's like, nah, sometimes some people are blessed with a more of a speaking heart. Some people are more kind. Some people had the books. It just depends on what you're blessed with, you right. know. So for me, that was a turning point in life just in general. And that was probably the point where you asked where I was like, you know what? Let me focus on the books and leave this behind for now. Right, man. I want to thank you for sharing that testimony, man, because even like I said, thinking back to that when I had it, I remember the rupture. But just you even added more content of everything that happened. And I thought I knew the whole story, but I learned more. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it's amazing, like you say, how how God will work in our lives. And sometimes we are led in different areas that we're not, we're not even knowing where we should go. But certain circumstances happen in our life for a reason. And like you mm -hmm. said, people question, uh, did it take all that? Did that have to happen that uh, way at different times? But who are we to question God and how he moves in our lives? Right. You know, we just got to accept his plan and go the way that he leading us. And uh, I definitely want to appreciate what you mentioned at the end about, like you said, that capacity to work hard. Cause one thing I think we discussed a while back, some years back is that even though we did very well in high school, I can honestly say this ain't no knock on my high school. They didn't prepare us for college. Oh, <laughs> at all. <laughs> college was a new, as I know me, yeah, I graduated college, but early on, mm -hmm. I, I was an honor society student, great grades in high school, but right, right. when I got to college, man, it was a whole different Oof. ball game. It's like yeah, I knew I yeah. could understand the work, mm -hmm. but it was a different comprehension. So I struggled and had right. to work my tail off toward the end just to graduate in four years. But mm -hmm. that was kind of down for when I look back on it now. I'm like, man, they really didn't get me ready for this. They really didn't yeah. 
I, I, I know I love my high school, love where I went, love the experience. But I just, when I look back, that's one thing I look at. Like y'all really didn't get me ready for the next level. Right. So that's, we didn't that's, know. that was major. Yeah, we didn't know. You know, that's another thing about when you talk about what community and what area and what school you go to. You think that you're getting the best of education because we're honor students. Because me and you are both honor students. However, you mm -hmm. were in the honor society and I was not. Even though you know that's a whole other story, because I feel like I should have been in earlier. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you were you were in, right? I wasn't. But um, yeah, man, they did not prepare us. I feel like the only reason why I started to do well in school is because I was embarrassed by my first semester. You know, all my friends <laughs> went to good high schools. They doing great. You know, they like, oh, I got an A. I got a da da da. -da. They like, oh, what you get? I'm like. <laughs> you know, don't even worry about it. <laughs> don't even worry about it, you know? Right. So I was embarrassed. So, like, and I knew I couldn't bring no bad grades home to my mom. Mm -hmm. Um. So, yeah, I started hitting the books a little bit harder then, too. But, like I said, even around that time, I was still trying to do music. So, uh, it was still throwing me off. So, I wasn't at my full uh, educational potential at that time anyway. But, you know, um, like you said, it's just a fighting spirit. It's perseverance. And making oh, sure that you can... Yes, sir. Step up to the plate. Yeah. As, as, and as we talk about the fighting spirit, I think one of the most amazing stories that hopefully you can share a little bit of content with us is that while you were at Xavier, you were one of the people that experienced the Hurricane Katrina mm -hmm. uh, that happened you know, when the levees broke. And if memory serves me correct, when you went through that, you got out the city just before mm -hmm. it got right. worse. Just kind of tell and I know you had to, like you said, and at that time, you had to shift yourself to another area with pharmacy school and that. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot to, like you say, we talk about that fighting spirit, the mental capacity to handle things. So you come out mm -hmm. the hospital, I'm going to pharmacy, you're doing all of a sudden, this horrible hurricane is coming. Right. I got to right. get out the city and I got to basically shift my entire life, educational wise, living mm -hmm. certain area. I got to make a whole entire shift just to finish what I got to do at the end. What, what was that experience like going through all of that? I was crazy. So, so with Hurricane Katrina, so every year, people who don't know, if you live like in a certain area, like the South, there's hurricane season, uh, hurricane season. And I'm a, I'm a, I know I'm a mess it up, <laughs> but you know, it's usually at the, it's usually during the first semester of school. Mm -hmm. So, we had had hurricane warnings and all this type of stuff from day one that I got to Xavier. But the thing is, most of them didn't really do much damage. Uh, and it was kind of like you just hear the same thing. Oh, you know, it's a hurricane. It's category. Da, 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 da. And you kind of become desensitized once you live there for a while, mm -hmm. uh, because most of them end up being just tropical storms. The hurricane breaks up. It becomes a tropical storm. It just rains heavy. And that's it. So I remember. Uh, so Hurricane Katrina actually hit while I was in my last year of pharmacy school. I was actually at the last portion just doing rotations. I was done with class. So we were just working at hospitals, working at local pharmacies, doctor's offices, just to get uh, practical experience so that once we graduated, we knew what to practically do outside of the classroom as a pharmacist. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember hearing a little bit about Hurricane Katrina. Oh, I think it was like a Friday night or something like that. And I remember going to sleep and I was like, eh, whatever. You know, then I believe it was Saturday that came and my, my pops hit me up. So when my pops hits me up, I usually listen. <laughs> so he hit me up 
And he was like, hey, man, you, you seen that hurricane like that's coming to, to Louisiana? And I was like, yeah, I heard a little bit about it. And he was like, so you leaving? And I was like, nah, is it that bad? <laughs> he was like, man, on the news, they saying like this one might be a big one. So honestly, when he said that, it kind of lit a fire under me. Literally, probably within an hour, I packed the bag and I was off to Texas. Luckily, my brother was living in uh, Houston at the time. Mm -hmm. So I got off just before a lot of the traffic started stacking up, too. You know, so I was able to get to Houston. And, you know, I'm at my brother's house and I'm like, all right, you know, hopefully this storm passes. I get back to my rotations and I graduate. So I remember uh, Katrina hit heavy maybe like Monday morning, early Monday morning. And I remember uh, my brother and his girlfriend at the time had the news on. And they were like, yo, the water is like filling up New Orleans right now. And I thought mm -hmm. it was just like rainwater. But then they showed like this whole area in New Orleans and like the rain was tall. Dogs and stuff were struggling to like stay afloat. And I was like, wow, like this looks unreal. <laughs> like this is crazy. And then I guess maybe that was around the time the levee broke. So we're literally watching New Orleans go underwater, seeing my school, you know, helicopters going past my school and seeing where this bridge is and seeing how tall the water is and stuff, man. Mm -hmm. It was surreal. It's surreal because you never thought that this hurricane would cause so much damage. Right, you know? exactly. You think, okay, maybe a few trees will be knocked down. And da 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 nah this one was different and it was and it was a, it was it was depressing at first it was a shock then it was depressing because i was like well what are we gonna do this is my last year of school mm -hmm. i'm supposed to be graduating i'm supposed to be starting my career as a pharmacist we actually sat in limbo for a while probably like two months where the school was like we don't know if you're gonna graduate this year we don't know what's gonna happen like mm -hmm. we just trying to take it day by day but um, eventually I got a call from uh, one of the professors there and he was like, hey, you know, I heard you in Houston, da, 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 da. But I have a, a school in New Jersey. I'm not going to name the school because it was some it was some problems with the school, but was <laughs> <laughs> some problems with the school, like financially, uh, they kind of did some things during Katrina that wasn't right. But I went to this school and uh, uh, one of the professors at Xavier in New Orleans had a hookup there. So he was like, hey. Go here, you can do a couple rotations. Then the issue with the money with this school came. Um, mm -hmm. I basically say, like, as a as a Katrina student, the programs that we were able to integrate into to do rotations, whether it be in Philadelphia, whatever, whatever, they didn't charge us. Okay, it's a natural disaster. <laughs> you know, it's like, and we're not we're working for free. Mm -hmm. What's you going to charge me for? So, at that point. Oh, I mean, I need to go back. So when I'm in Houston, I get a call from the professor saying that there's this opening in New Jersey. But he said, you have to live in New Jersey if you go. The, the thing about it is the person I was dating at the time had just moved to New Jersey to start dental school. Mm -hmm. And then my aunt, you know, who you know of, was living in New Jersey at the time. So it just happened to work out on that tip, too, because he was like, I only got one spot you can go right now is New Jersey. I'm like, bet my aunt and my girl out there at the time. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going. So that worked out. But, yeah, so the, the thing, unfortunately, you know, the school in New Jersey, I got a couple hours under my belt for my rotation, but I was stuck again. 
So I'm just in New Jersey for a little bit. And then I get another call from this professor. And he's like, hey, you know, uh, there's a school in Philadelphia, Philadelphia College of Pharmacy. They want to take you. They want to they want to let you just finish up whatever you could do. So I'm like, cool. You know, Philadelphia, I think from New Jersey it was maybe like, I uh, hope it's like two or three hours, probably like three mm-hmm. hours away, three, four hours away. So honestly, like at that point, I did what I needed to do. I was commuting back and forth, but mostly staying in Philadelphia during the week. They gave me free housing, a place wow. to stay, That's what's all up. of that type of stuff. And I was able to fill in Philadelphia. And then shortly after that, um, I got picked up to do an article for being a Katrina student. So I was published after that in Pharmacy Times, which is like the biggest uh, pharmacist publication. Mm-hmm. So that was another blessing as a student. I already got published. Uh, and then after that, pretty much uh, Xavier contacted us and said, hey, if you got your rotations done, we're going to have a small graduation ceremony. I had my done. So we yeah, went and graduated, you know, and it was it, that was surreal, too. Cause you know, you just really didn't see it ending. And then, you know, you put in all this work over all these years. Right. Um, but it was kind of bittersweet too, because you expect like this big grand graduation, you know, where it's like you graduating with all the other colleges, but this one was, was small. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, still grateful for it. Uh, but another kicker about this is they separated and did a separate pharmacy graduation. Cause they knew we were going to start working soon. Do you know who did the regular graduation that we were supposed to be at? Who did? Barack Obama. Oh, wow. Before he was president. <clears throat> so I'm a little salty about that. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm a little salty about that. But, you know, um, yeah, it was a blessing that I was able to move around a little bit, had to travel, but, you know, got the rotations I need and got my hours done. After that, took my board exams, studied up hard for those, and passed those, you know, thankfully. so Wonderful, man. Wonderful, man. Thank yeah. you for sharing that uh, story of overcoming um, that. And we know a lot of uh, people, just what Katrina did to our nation, to a lot of people. Uh, yeah. You, know, you hear stories about people that are still recovering, mm-hmm. but changed their families forever. So <clears throat> that's not nothing we look at lightly about what happening for you no. blessed enough to come out of that and come mm-hmm. over the adversities that you faced to still finish up and become a pharmacist is a right. because some people would have just gave up after that mm-hmm. they might have just went another way but i'm just gonna work but you know you stay focused on your goal and so that's definitely um important and you sitting here today you are a uh you have your doctors in pharmacy and i just want to talk about that a little bit you being a mm-hmm. pharmacist you know sometimes we look at the pharmacist I just that person back there putting them pills in that bottle. Uh-huh. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, and I don't mm. think sometimes unless you know people in the medical profession, they don't know about everything what a pharmacist actually has to study. What he got. It's not like something you get a degree for and it's it. That's an ongoing process of studying mm-hmm. with all the new developments in medicine. And I'm not a pharmacist. I just read and hear certain things. So just right. tell right. us a little bit about you being a, a pharmacist and what, what what is it really about it just all the people you have helped um, with your position because i think sometimes mm-hmm. we overlook mm-hmm. how important a pharmacist really is okay yeah that's a great question because people still ask me what i do <laughs> so <laughs> so uh so okay so i'll break it down like this there's many different types of pharmacists the pharmacists that most people are familiar with are uh, retail pharmacists so that's Places like if you're in Illinois, Walgreens, Jewel, uh, CVS, which is everywhere. 
uh, and you you pretty much people bring in their prescriptions from the doctor. Uh, on that level, you have technicians who are really the ones who are counting the pills and doing all of that stuff and putting the prescriptions into the actual system. Mm-hmm. So usually if you're a pharmacist on a retail level in a store or something like that, your job is to uh, check the actual prescription that the doctor has given the patient to make sure that the medication milligram and directions line up and that it's, it, it looks correct. Because as a pharmacist, we should know with those type of medications what the standard milligram should be and what the directions and quantities should be. So unfortunately, a lot of times doctors are rushing through when they write prescriptions and we catch a lot of mistakes on that end. You know, mm-hmm. it might be that the milligram is off, the directions might be off, something like that. So the pharmacist there, that's the main job they're doing first is making sure everything on this prescription that you gave me is correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, then on the flip side of that, once you verify that everything is correct on a prescription, you also have to make sure that there's no interactions with any of the other medications that they're taking. So right. that's the next thing. You go through the medications on that level. If there's no interactions, cool. We fill the medication. If there's interactions, I got to reach out to the doctor. So think about there's one pharmacist there who's checking all these scripts that's coming in. And if I get a mistake, I got to reach out to the doctor. Mm-hmm. So people wonder why it takes so long <laughs> to get a prescription, because usually for every, I say in retail, probably for every 10 prescriptions you get, probably like one or two got something wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Then they have pharmacists. Uh, well, okay. And the last step of usually uh, being a pharmacist is actually checking the medication after the, the tech counts it out, puts it in the bottle. What we do is we look at the actual tablets, pills, capsules, creams, make sure that it's actually what the label says. Because it is possible to grab Tylenol and put it in a bottle that's labeled for, uh, let's say, Lamictal. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. two totally different things. So that's another thing we look out for. But uh, uh, another thing that most pharmacists are doing on a retail level, which I no longer do, um, is they're doing vaccines now. Vaccines are huge. COVID vaccines, flu right. shots, pneumonia. So now you got to check the medication, you're checking prescriptions and you're doing flu shots and vaccines. And, but you, but you know, they want you to have a certain number of prescriptions and Mm -hmm. stuff done per hour. So it's a very stressful job. Um, I loved it. I did that for probably like 11, 12 years, worked overnights too for a while. Um, but then I switched over. Now I'm a specialty pharmacist. So what that is, is I'm no longer in a pharmacy. When I first started out, I used to have a cubicle at a, at a warehouse that had a pharmacy in the back that I never saw. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were dealing with rare diseases. We still deal with rare diseases. So things such as cancers, uh, pulmonary hypertension, I'm actually a specialty. Spe- you know, that's like my, my specialty amongst my job is pulmonary hypertension, uh, fertility, um, rare diseases for babies, RSV, um, just a lot of things that people don't see on a day-to-day basis. Right. Um, also, the medications I deal with are, are super expensive. So in a typical retail pharmacy, um, the most expensive bottle of pills you might have on the counter, maybe $200, $300 is expensive in our eyes of retail. Uh, what I do now, the minimum we see for a bottle of, uh, of medication, two to $3,000 for a oh, bottle. Uh, a lot of the, thing, yeah, <clears throat> the things I deal with can be 
fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month medication for patients. Jeez. So you got to think that insurance is covering for a lot of these patients. Insurance is still covering a good chunk of it. Thank God, because most people is not are not going to be able to afford that. Mm-hmm. So our job is they want us to be extra diligent and making sure that the medications and all of that stuff lines up to where that's all we do. The only thing I'm doing at my job now is making sure that these dosages are right, that there's no interactions with the medications. Mm-hmm. But on top of just checking interactions with medications, I got to make sure that you get your blood test done, that you get your pregnancy test done. What's these numbers? What's your what's your status on this? So it's mm-hmm. a lot more back work that you have to do on my end now. Um, and it's also more fragile because you're dealing with more life-sustaining medications on this side. So the blessing in this is I don't have to be in a pharmacy. So I work from home now. Okay, uh, I've been home now probably for about three years. So I'm able to make my phone calls to patients, counsel them. Uh, that's a large portion of what I do now too. Uh, Cause a lot of people are getting new diagnoses and they don't know anything about the condition they have. Their doctor only has a certain amount of time to, you know, give them a breakdown on what they, you know, the conditions they have, but we have more time. So usually when they come to us, They'll say, you know, oh, my doctor briefly went over, you know, can you give me more information? Mm-hmm. So we're actually giving them what I call the meat and potatoes a lot of times of these new diagnosis right. of what they do. So, yeah. So now I'm more so uh, on that end. So no more being in the pharmacy and all of that type of stuff. I'm just here strictly for informational purposes and making sure that people's uh, charts and stuff are in order before we ship out these uh, expensive medications and life-sustaining medications. Oh, man. That's what's up, man. That special thing is real. Mm-hmm. I didn't, uh, know that, man. Thank you for um, sharing that. Definitely, you know, yeah. the, that difference between the retail and the specialty. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm going to start being more grateful when I got to pay $7, $8 for my medicine. <laughs> and, right. and, you know, sometimes we be tripping. $20? I'll right, take right. 20 over 2000 Yeah, yeah. Seriously. I'll take that deal any day. For real. So, for yeah, real. you know, some of y'all yeah. tripping about y'all $30, $40 medicine. Thank God you yeah. got to be doing no $2,000, $3,000 mm-hmm. uh, medication. Exactly. Yeah, man. Uh, exactly. Always appreciate hearing from people that are in healthcare. You know, I, I always tell, uh, you know, I got kids that's, getting ready to go to college and I always tell you, you know, healthcare is one field that you know, it's going to be jobs, you know, pharmacists, exactly, nurses, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, doctors, CNAs, mm-hmm. LPNs out the healthcare. People always will need somebody to take care of. So, right. Yeah. So that's a, a wonderful field. All right. So uh, as we start to come uh, to the end of this uh, episode here on the podcast, uh, we want to go into, you see the shirt that you got on brother, uh, you know, representing the Omega five side and you, uh, you were one of the rare cases. What I've seen a few of my friends and associates, uh, the school I went to, we didn't have any Greek orgs or sororities, mm-hmm. none of that stuff. So I saw a few of the guys, ladies I went to school with, they started pledging after grad or when they went into master's programs, they plan after, uh, after grad. Usually the stigmatism you see about Greek orgs, that's something you do while you're in college. Mm-hmm. But I'm starting to see a lot more people do it after they're done with their education, post-secondary education. Mm-hmm. What is it? Why did you make the decision to pledge and why did you choose Omega Phi Psi? So why did you do it like, you know, after school, you were well out of school for some time. What kind of drew you to it and changed your mind to pledge at this stage and point in your life? Okay. So the first thing, um, I got to correct it because the brothers are getting on my case. It's Omega Sci-Fi. 
Oh, you almost had it. <laughs> my apologies, yeah, to all the brothers. Any of y'all hear this and be like, "Hey, man, he." That's all right. My apologies, sir. My case, they were like, "Hey, how come you ain't correct them?" I'm like, "Hey, all right, I got you." So, um, yeah. So it was, um, I guess for me, the first time I saw uh the Qs or Omega Sci-Fi, we're called, you know, a nickname is the Qs or the Bruhs, was really Shaq. Uh, when we was coming up, you know, because Shaq used to always throw up the hooks, you know, after he after he did something, you know. So we used to be kids in the gym, like, ah, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> but we didn't know what it was back then. But then as I got a little bit older, being in Chicago, I feel like Chicago had a lot of cues, mm-hmm. you know. So I started seeing it actually in the street. And I was like, you know, they seem like they cool, like. Uh, I didn't really know much about like community service or what they did, but my father had some friends who were cues. Mm-hmm. And uh, all he used to tell me, he was like, yeah, the cues is crazy. The cues is crazy. Like, them dudes crazy. For me, I don't know. You know, I like the whole the whole thing of being crazy or whatever, you know. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, you know, I'm looking to that when I get older. But um, even when I got to college, like, it wasn't heavy on my radar. And the queues actually weren't on campus at the time when I got there. Okay. Uh, they ended up getting on campus, but at the point, at that point, I, I educational wise, it, it wouldn't have been a good look because my GPA was low, uh, and I had to handle business before getting into pharmacy school. Mm-hmm. And my story is the same for a lot of people who do it afterwards. It's like a money thing too. You know these these organizations cost money, so these college students are paying thousands to pledge. Now think about how me and you came up. You think we got thousands to give away when we in college? No, sir, not at no, all. Sir. <laughs> so, no, sir. So when I came here, I thought it was gonna be free, <laughs> you know, until I found out they pay. But um, long story short, like uh, when I got to college, I, uh, the cues did come back on campus, and I, I showed interest, but I wasn't able to do it at the time. But it was always a fire that was burned within me to want to do it one day. Um, I did do my due diligence and learned about the other organizations as well while mm-hmm. in college. So I made sure that this was something that I really wanted to do. Um, I had a lot of friends who were in other organizations who really like educated me on their their organizations, too. And I definitely appreciated that. But as an adult, um, it came back to Q because mm-hmm. that was the one that always was in my heart. Um, and for me, what did I like? The thing I saw about them on college campuses is that they were always the um i don't want to say like alpha male organization but they were um no nonsense athletes usually um people knew not to mess with the cues uh you know cues a lot of us work out like i said a lot of them on the football teams and stuff like that uh it just resonated with i feel like my personality mm-hmm. um you know, because me and you were athletes. We played sports. Mm-hmm. You know, we were all into lifting weights and all that type of stuff. And at the end of the day, we weren't pushovers. Right. And that's what this organization is about. Like, we not pushovers. You're not going to come over here and think you go do, you know, not da 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 to us. But also at the same time, we are serving to our community. You know, 90% of the frat is community service. Mm-hmm. The other part, the other 10 percent is whatever and doing some partying. It's just that some people get caught up in the 10 percent and they forget about the 90 percent. But uh, going back to your, your question about why people pledge after college, um, 
a lot of people didn't have the money. A lot of people didn't have the grades. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, black sororities and fraternities, uh, we do work until we die. Uh, a lot of uh, white fraternities, it's a college thing. They go there, they do their thing, they party. When they graduate, they don't speak to each other. They go about their way. Mm. Uh, with black with black fraternities, uh, nah, it's a lifelong commitment. It's a family. So you got brother. We got brothers in my chapter who crossed in the forties, still doing work. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't even thought about at that time. So for me, it's like at this point, it's a it's a family connection. It's a second family. And it's a way to give back to my community because my chapter is in the south suburbs where okay. I grew up. So I'm I'm grateful to be able to do work in the community that I came from. Right. So for me, that's why uh, Omega Sci-Fi in the chapter I joined was just the right choice for me. Good. That's what's up. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and, and last question before we edge it out. Now, did you hear about uh, Greek orgs and fraternities mm-hmm. and sororities? Uh, some of them get a bad rap. You mm-hmm. get different stories, different negative uh, narratives that are put out there um, about them. And, you know, you've heard stuff, you've seen movies about it. So right, right. People trying to expose things and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But from your experience, what can you say to kind of dispel that that negativity where you maybe, I mean, and before you joined, like you said, you did your research, you looked at other right. ones, but now that you're in it, what have you seen where you're like, man, they said it was this, but it's not. They said we just party, but like you just stated something, 90% of his community. How would you encourage somebody that's considering, but they said, oh, I heard all this negative stuff. I don't know. How, mm-hmm. how would you speak to someone that's saying, hey, listen, it's not everything that you hear. Let me talk to you from my experience. Um, So it's kind of, so that's a tricky one because um, I do feel like every organization and every chapter is going to be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But in the grand scheme of things, all of what we call the divine nine, which are all the black fraternities and sororities, uh, are out here putting in work and, and, and being for the greater good. Um, I think the main thing when joining a fraternity or sorority is that you got to know who you are before you join. Uh, I don't feel like you should join any organization looking for acceptance or looking for love or looking for validation. Mm, that's um, good. I feel like if you go in, you have to know who you are and you have to stick to who you are. Um, and I feel like sometimes people get into organizations and they're not used to getting attention per se. Uh, now your focus is not on community service and work. You focus on this attention over here because you're seeking validation. Uh, from your organization. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if you go into this knowing who you are and not changing for your organization to fit a stereotype, because I feel like all the organizations have stereotypes. And of course, everybody has characteristics of certain stereotypes, mm-hmm. but you don't need to be the whole stereotype <laughs> when you become a member. Right. You know, you just need to keep the components of who you were uh, beforehand. But um, I think one thing that for me that I see, and I know, you know, as a, as a pastor, you see people who are, um, what do they call it? Like denouncing their letters mm-hmm. or leaving the organization. Cause a lot of people, um, you know, they say that there are certain demonic things or things about their organization. Um, 
But for me, I'll go back to that and say that once again, you got to know who you are. Um, for me, I've never done anything demonic uh, in my organization. I've never done anything that compromised my upbringing or anything like that. If anything, after becoming an Omega, my Bible knowledge and all of that is way better than it used to be. Uh, so it just depends on what you're looking for out of this organization and do you know who you are? Because, you know, all right, if you want to go into an organization because you want women and all that type of stuff, man, I feel sorry for you. That's all you're mm-hmm. going into it for? That's it? You know, you don't care about the community. You don't care about the brotherhood. You know, like with this organization, it's like me and you. If you need something, you'll call me. Mm-hmm. If we need to talk about life issues, something serious, somebody's parent passed, we call each other. Right. It's the same thing with this. So it's more than just the party and da 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 But a lot of people who fall by the wayside never get to see the beauty of these relationships or the real things that it should be about. So I think to answer your question, I think it's good and bad, but it depends on the person joining. Oh man, well, I, I think uh, that was a great answer, man. And thank you for uh, you know sharing that and, and going through it and your experience. Um, I've noticed a lot of people that I uh, have. I've brought a few people on. Um, I had a friend of mine, young lady, I worked with. Um, she's a uh, AKA, and we're just talking okay. about how her. As you shared, how your dad kind of told you about her dad. I forgot what she said he pledged, but he kind of, she saw the Greek life through him and mm-hmm. he told her all the benefits of it. So that's what drew her to it. But she knew, was very confident in who she was. And she was going into it based off what her dad was saying, all of the good they do in the community. Right, she right. serve. So, you know, like you said, when you go into some things and join it with a certain mindset, what are you looking for? And you got people that join stuff for a substance love because they didn't have it from their family. They didn't have it That's from their community. So that brotherhood, that sisterhood, yeah. they're looking uh, for that. But, you know, and for, for every good thing, that's like even me being in the uh, church, one of the hardest things I fight is that and being an elder, being a preacher, you hear people say, well, I invite people, hey, man, come by my church. I don't want to go to church. I didn't hear so much stuff. OK, but what do you see in me, though? Yeah, it, right. it, it may be some people out there that's then gave a tainted view mm-hmm. of what church is and what God meant it to be. But there's some of us that are in it and we real about For the it. real reason. Like, I'm not going to mess nothing up. And it's the same right. thing. That's why I had you speak about, about the organization because, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it may be some orgs out there that ain't representing what it was built and mean to. They Something could be tainted, but you may have another chapter over here that's doing everything the way it's supposed to be. So, it, like you said, you got to know who you are. And if you get in something and you and you see they're not representing, if it disagrees with you, then maybe you should get out of it. It doesn't mean what was built. Like I tell people, some people have had so many bad experiences, like with church, where they just be like, I just want a relationship. I don't want to go to a church. Mm-hmm. And that'd be like, maybe just that location where you were at was bad. That doesn't right. mean every yeah. church is bad. Maybe mm-hmm. there they just didn't handle you right. But you may go here. They can love on you, accept you teach mm-hmm. you the word and a lot of great things can happen for you. But some people in the world we live on today, they had that one bad experience. Like, boom, I'm, I'm just done with it. I don't want nothing right. to do it. Right. That's not true. Just some mm-hmm. places are important. I always tell people, people are flawed. People Wherever are not go. perfect. So unfortunately exactly. people mess up stuff 
and represent things wrong. And when you look at the origin of some things, you'd be like, it was never supposed to be this. Mm -hmm. But people deviate every day from the origin and the originality of stuff and turn it into something else. And exactly. you have people that really need to be a part of something positive, something mm -hmm. that could build them. Like you say, I need, I just lost a parent. I need somebody to talk to. I just lost mm -hmm. my job. Hey, right. and I know that a lot of the uh, Greek organizations are great networking tools for people to help you get jobs at the college, help you network with your business, your entrepreneurship, all this mm -hmm. stuff. So it's not all bag. And that's why I asked that question for you to shed a light because I know just being your friend, a mm -hmm. lot of the good things that you have uh, told me um, about it. And I think that's great. And, I, and then whatever people do enjoy, I think that was a great point. Know who you are. And if right. you get into something and you realize it's not for you, just get out of it. That don't mean you have to go back and bash and talk. Trust me. Mm -hmm. I grew up in church and seen a whole lot of stuff. I don't right. sit there beating the church. <laughs> exactly. I don't talk right. about people. I just be like, right. hey, because God don't want us to function like that. No way. I just figure, mm -hmm. hey, some places just ain't for me. I thank God for the church. Like, I'm sure you, you're thankful for the chapter that you're in and right. what you all do because you're having a great experience. And I think right. we as people, we got to learn that anything we go into and join, we just got to know who we are. That's that's mm -hmm. very, man, that was a valid point, man. Because then you won't have nobody making you do stuff or tricking you to do stuff because you confident. Right. If you don't go on stuff knowing who you are, hey, Lord knows, especially at our ages, ages we are. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, we, too, it's too late. We definitely yeah. got to. <laughs> We yeah. definitely got to. We in our right. early 40s. If I don't right. know who right. I am now, man, yeah. you know, even if, right. Yeah. If you hearing us, you in your 40s, you don't know, figure it out. Figure yeah. it out. I, I'm intentional about staying, figuring out, evolving, changing, becoming more of who I'm supposed mm -hmm. to be. Yeah, you you got to figure that out. But, man, bro, I, I just want to appreciate you, man, for this interview, man. Anything yeah, likewise. The people know anything you got going on, anything we need to follow with, about you, man, just, just let us know. Okay, uh, man, I appreciate it. Um, like I said, I, I'm grateful to be on the platform. Uh, it was great being able to, I mean, it's almost surreal. Who would have thought when we was coming up that we'd be doing this this podcast right now about our lives? You know, because yes, if, if people don't know, like, this is like my brother. Like, we was with, with each other every day. Mm -hmm. You know, I was with your moms. Like, I know the fam. So, like, this is this is beautiful uh, to be able to to be here on earth and be blessed enough to do this. Uh, and much success to you. You know, congratulations on starting this podcast. Oh, and man, I'll be following, and I just hope it blows up and that God continues to bless it. Oh, man, thank you, man. So, yeah, man, this, this is my brother, man. Uh, too many of you, I know his uh, family, too, man. It's, it's just, like you said, a blessing. I always tell my kids as we get ready to leave out, you know, cherish some of the friendships you develop in high school. And I always tell my kids, yeah. my kids always, these days, everybody, they friend. I know it's my two days, that's my friend. I said, when you leave <laughs> high school, you might have two, three people right. that, that you rock with for the rest of your life. Yeah. I'm talking about yeah. hard that mm. y'all like this. Right. Wait, all right. these 15, 20 people you rode in high school, I nah. promise you, 15 yeah, years in a row, maybe one or two of them you still rocking with. Yeah. All 15 of them ain't going to be your friends. Mm -hmm. But you know, kids these days, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You old, okay, right? Well, you gonna see? <laughs> Just I'm keep on living. Just keep you on know, living. <laughs> try to teach them, but they don't get it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, bro, glad you're still my friend. Glad you're still in my life, man. Uh, I want to appreciate y'all for tuning in to the New Beginnings podcast with Jay Jackson. Uh, like I said, like, follow, stream, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcast, share it. Thank y'all again. Appreciate you, Doctor Rasul Dickey. Hope man. you all enjoyed Thank the you. episode. Until next time, we'll holler at y'all. Peace.